off your idiot box call the tv and go out and talk to real people go meet your neighbors talk to your cab driver talk to your plumber uh talk talk to the waitress at the restaurant talk to you know the mechanic who's fixing your car what you'll find out very quickly is the people around you know we're being lied to the people around you don't think any of this stuff is normal don't think any of this stuff is sensible uh what's really happening as far as the tv goes is it's just a conditioning process where we're being told that everybody around us believes the narrative That's but it's right. not true they want us to feel Feel isolated and atomized and alone. Like, oh, me and my wife, we're the only ones on the planet who, who've realized that this is a fraud. No, people all around you realize this is a fraud. Um, so we do have a lot of people who recognize this. In fact, I believe the vast majority of Americans now are onto them. And it doesn't mean they can tell you the nuances and you know sure. the, the details of who's doing what and how, but they know they're being deceived. They don't like it. They don't like any of this crazy stuff that's happening. Finally, the wait is over. Anti-aging scientists at Live Longer Labs, who are first to bring the world C60 for human consumption, have now released their much-anticipated New Matrix solution for aging skin. New Matrix was originally formulated six years ago to help California burn victims. Quickly, they realized this life-changing product not only reduces burn scars, it also significantly reverses the signs of aging, like wrinkles and sagging skin. New Matrix, when applied, will immediately stimulate collagen production with a uniquely designed niacin flush. This means you will actually feel it working. The skin will experience moderate heat and a flush-like mild sunburn that will subside in 10 to 15 minutes. This process signals your body to significantly increase collagen production, which results in literally turning back time, producing tighter, more vibrant and youthful skin. Research data shows daily use is as effective as multiple $300 days at the spa, but you can get these continual results every day without the huge price tag. This Christmas, Live Longer Labs is releasing new matrix to the public with a special promotional price of $136.99 versus normal retail of $169. Or better yet, get a bottle of C60 Complete and New Matrix for the low price of $199. Normal retail is $259, so that's a $60 savings. Use code Sarah to get these great deals. Only 1,500 bottles of New Matrix are available for this promotion. So hurry while supplies last. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have Alex Newman joining the program. <laughs> He's I haven't had him on for a while, but I'm so glad I had him back. He's so smart. We're going to talk about the global world order that they're putting through, but we're going to also talk about the new Ten Commandments that they had the gall to put together and this pagan religion that they're trying to put worldwide. We're going to talk about a lot of things, but he, this isn't just conspiracy theory. It's, it's conspiracy fact because he's seen it. He's been at these globalist meetings. He's going to talk about what he's heard, what they're doing specifically. He has video of them doing this. He was just came back from the Middle East. He was in Dubai. He was at the climate summit. He was at the second annual one world religion thing that they're putting together where the Pope was supposed to be there. You're going to hear all of this. And he has the Ten Commandments documented, the new Ten Commandments. And then people push back. So now they call it the spiritual guides for climate change or something. But they originally called it the new Ten Commandments. And they actually went through this whole spiritual ritual ceremony like Moses coming down from the mountain. It is incredible. You'll hear the story. These people are very serious about doing this. We're going to talk about solutions too, so it's not so daunting. We always have to, right? What can we do? Because if we don't 
do something, we're we're in trouble. The option of doing nothing is is not okay for any of us because the option of doing nothing means slavery or death, or death and that's just not happening. So we're we're going to talk about. I, th- I think you're going going to appreciate this conversation. And under he's so smart. So I think you'll appreciate this. But before we get into it, I want to remind you that I have this new matrix, this bottle. This is amazing stuff. It helps your body develop collagen, your skin develop collagen. Each treatment, it's a it's a skin treatment. Each treatment's like a $300 spa visit. And the bottle right now, it's 20% off. It's 20% off of $169 using the code XMASERA. And I have the link below telling you, look at the before and after. This is Max Champy, you know, what my scientist, we talked about this two years ago and he's been working on getting this out and with all the supply chain problems and stuff, and now it's ready to go. And look at what, this was him in 2015. Now look what what he is now. It is amazing the results that people are seeing. You know, I have been working really hard on my collagen. That's why I look I probably look a little bit younger because my eyes are raised and you started drooping and I've been using collagen treatments. I don't want to get face. I don't want anything like that. I want everything natural. And so I want to redevelop my collagen. And this stuff is, there's nothing better on the planet than this. And anybody who's done microneedling or any kind of radio frequency to try to deal with rebuilding their collagen, they know the expense, how expensive these treatments are. This bottle of new matrix that each treatment, what it does is it creates a niacin flush. So it tricks your body into thinking that you have uh, have a sunburn. And then it gets your body creating collagen to deal with the, you know, to heal. It was originally created for, this product was originally created for burn victims in California. And then they realized, holy cow, look what it does to reducing uh, wrinkles and all these things. And it kind of was a cult a cult product amongst Hollywood to use this to deal with aging issues. And now it's coming out to the public. For this promotion, there's only 1,500 bottles available and it's an exclusive on my program. And then it'll be released to the general public in 2024. So the link is below, get your bottle, use it every day. The other thing, take a picture before you start. And then four to six weeks later, take another picture. It takes about four to six weeks for your body to start really generating collagen and and starting to improve the elasticity, the glow, the wrinkles, the tighten your skin. It takes four to six weeks for you to start seeing it. And then it just keeps growing and getting better and better and better while you use it. Because your body just takes time, right? It has to develop the collagen and that's the four to six weeks process before you start seeing the results. Okay, the link is below. Let's get into my very interesting conversation with Alex Newman. Hi, Alex. Welcome back to the program. Great to be here. Thank you very much for having me, Sarah. It's been a while, so I'm really glad you're back. I have been thinking about something that you said to me years ago, maybe eight years ago, I don't know, about the United Nations. And I want to dive into this because I know your background with the United Nations and the globalist movement is what we're going to be talking about is, I mean, you have actual experience with it because the difference between you reading about it and actually personally experiencing it is is like a gulf. I mean, it changes you. Can you talk about what your experience, your historical experience has been with some of these globalist institutions? 
Well, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, sir, for having me again. It's an honor and a pleasure to be with you. So appreciate uh, all the work that you're doing. And so my, my background with the United, I call it the United Abominations now, it goes back to, to my childhood. I, I lived a very unusual childhood. I grew up uh, all over the world, uh, mostly Latin America before we moved to Europe. And then I went down to Africa. Uh, and, you know, I was in these international schools, these very elite international schools where you're, you're there with the children of diplomats, ambassadors, uh, CEOs of international companies, uh, billionaires, prime ministers, presidents, things like this. Uh, and so one of the central focuses of my education throughout my entire youth was uh, the United Nations. And it was always presented to us as like the the savior of mankind, the tool that was going to get rid of war and hunger and poverty and all these things. Uh, so, so the level of indoctrination, it, it was, I mean, a very good education from the standpoint of like, you know, teaching how to read, write, do math, things like that. But the indoctrination was so heavy because they were training up future managers for the new world order. Right. And uh, you had to be ideologically committed to this. So that's kind of my background. And obviously, I became a very rebellious child. And so I rebelled against all of that idea. But later, uh, you know, coming to experience this stuff face to face. In fact, just yesterday, I got back from the Arabian Peninsula. I was there covering the U.S. UN COP28 Climate Summit. Uh, and I've been doing this my entire career in journalism. Uh, my first year at a journalism school in 2009, I flew over to Copenhagen for the uh, COP15, uh, I believe it was. Man, time flies. It was the COP15. Uh, so I've been going to these things now for about 15 years. And, uh, and I've watched what's really happening here. And what I can tell you is that when, when they use terms that are designed to appeal to the masses, like we're going to bring about world peace, we're going to bring about hunger, you, you need to understand that they don't mean what you think they mean. Yeah, the brainwashed zombies, the rent-a-mobs outside, they mean that, right? That's what they think yeah, is going on do. here, just like yeah. useful all idiots always have. But at the highest levels, uh, there's a whole deeper meaning, right? So when they say they're going to bring about world peace, what they really mean is they're going to eliminate all opposition to their programs. And then it'll be very peaceful because there'll be nobody left to say we're not going to uh, go along with this. When they say they're going to eliminate hunger, it's easy to eliminate hunger when you eliminate a huge percentage of the human population. So that's the direction they're moving us in. And when you go to these things, when you see it up close and personal, when you listen to the things that they're talking about, uh, and we get a lot of this on camera, uh, it just becomes so crystal clear this is absolute wickedness it's coming at us from all fronts through business through government through religious institutions and if we don't resist this we are quite literally headed toward a a totalitarian orwellian global police state that will eliminate ruthlessly human freedom and everything that we hold dear well the useful idiots are are really hard to fight right because it's hard they truly believe that they're eliminating poverty and eliminating hunger they can't wrap it, their head around the fact that they're actually killing off everybody to eliminate poverty and to eliminate hunger. I mean, it's just, it's so a 180 from their marketing. Because if you read their marketing literature, you think, oh, this is a really good organization. But you having personal experience, you know that what they're saying is not what they mean. And people are um, being duped everywhere. One time you talked to me, and this is just burned into my brain, where they were working with a third world country and they wanted their resources and they just went in there and demolished people. Can you talk about some of the, their tactics that, I mean, I, I just, it was burned into my brain how the, these soldiers went in and just slaughtered these people so that they could have their resources. 
Yeah, and this is actually a hallmark of the United Nations going back to the very beginning. I mean, if you go back to when the UN was founded in San Francisco, you had, you know, Joseph Stalin's minions there. You had Joseph Stalin's minions from our side, right? Uh, Alger Hiss, who they made the, the chairman of the conference that wrote the UN charter, then they made him the first secretary general. Turns out he was a spy for Joseph Stalin working at our State Department. Uh, and, you know, you, you can see it just so clearly right from the very beginning. So they set up a, a peacekeeping force, right? One of the central themes of the UN was that we were going to keep the peace, maintain international peace and security is how they describe it. And their first real serious so-called peace mission was in a province called Katanga. And so uh, there's a background there, right? Uh, the people of Katanga under the leadership of Moise Chombe decided, uh, and he was a, a pro-Western Christian liberty-minded leader, uh, and he decided, hey, we actually don't want to live under a mass-murdering Soviet-backed brutal dictator uh, who was at that time ruling over the Congo. So he said, we're, we're not going to participate in this. We're going to be declare independence. And the United Nations said, oh, no, peace and security. So they sent in the peace troops, uh, brutal savages, uh, a lot of them from Belgium and, and other European countries. And they went in there and they started slaughtering people. They started raping women and children. They started bombing hospitals. They were bombing cars as, as civilians tried to flee this carnage. Why? Because the people of Katanga did not want to live under a an actual mass murdering Soviet backed dictator. So how do you keep the peace? You eliminate all opposition to the tyrannical policies that they're trying to bring in. Uh, what happened in Katanga, and there was a, a fantastic documentary made about this. I, I came across it while I was in college, and it really was part of my awakening experience. When you see what they mean by peacekeeping, you get a whole new understanding of the United Nations. And, and you know, the same thing continues all the way to this day, Sarah. Like I said, I just got back from the Arabian Peninsula. The big theme was we're going to transition away from fossil fuels. We're going to phase out fossil fuels. We're going to phase down fossil fuels. Those were the talking points, right? To the extent that the media covered this thing in the United States, that's all you heard about. The world is transitioning away from fossil fuels. I'll tell you what, there is no transition away from hydrocarbon energy. It's ludicrous. It's preposterous. Every one of the ringleaders there understands that full well. What they're phasing out is the Western world, what used to be known as the free world. And, and this was on full display, Sarah. You had uh, leaked documents from the Arab delegation that actually hosted these talks, the United Arab Emirates. And, and I don't hold this against them. Right? I mean, I, of course, I'd be doing the same thing if I were these guys. But uh, they had leaked documents. The BBC reported on these showing that the delegation uh, of the Arab regime that was hosting this was planning to make oil deals with the communist Chinese and gas deals with the communist Chinese at the summit. They had their talking points laid out for how they were going to be making oil deals. The guy who ran the summit was actually the head of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, which is the state-owned oil and gas producer for the United Arab Emirates. So, when you hear that they're transitioning away from fossil fuels, recognize that's only in the Western world. That's only designed to dismantle what's left of the middle class in the United States and in the Western world. That's designed to undermine our economy, shut down our factories, ship it all to communist China, ship it all to uh, the, the governments that are going to be on board with this multipolar one world order that they're building. So they always come up with clever talking points. We want peace. We're going to phase out fossil fuels. And all you got to do is just look right behind the curtain and you see what's really going on. It has nothing to do with the stated intention. Not from them. I mean, there are some energies that we could do that would be really great, but they're not looking at that. But those right? will be suppressed, I mean, of course, right? You yeah, can't liberate so humanity with cheap energy. Yeah, so they're doing that while they're fading out these fossil fuels. So it's so obvious. The useful idiots don't understand that. And they're just, they're kind of in our way. They're so frustrating. Right. They really yeah. are frustrating because they're in the way and they're 
it's like they're marching to their own death. That's the mind control stuff. I'm doing this presentation about mind control and part of their, the, the goal was to get people to actually march to their own death and do it willingly. And, and that's what they're doing. But the, the, the moving, get ringing fossil fuels, that gets rid of our whole infrastructure. I mean, that's what they're trying to do. And then we are taking ourselves down while they're moving and creating deals with these other countries. Now, these are the BRIC nations, right? I mean, they're all like Saudi Arabia, Abu Dhabi, Dubai. They all are joining the BRICS nations. That's like the formal ending of the petrodollar. When Saudi Arabia joined the, or they're trying to join the BRIC nations, I think they are in January. I think you might have this. It, that's essentially the end of the dollar, isn't it? It absolutely is. And, and and it's the end of the Western world. So what's happening here, Sarah? And, and I've known that this was coming for over a decade because I read the documents that the Council on Foreign Relations puts out. It's kind of like deep state headquarters, if you will. It's the little toadies that represent the, the global evildoer interests here in the United States. And um, they've been crowing about this multipolar world order for a long time. And even the term BRICS was actually developed by the chief economist at Goldman Sachs, so that people understand here. This is the controlled demolition of the United States of America. It's not that the BRICS nations woke up and said, you know, we don't like America. We're going to take them down. It's that we have traitors. We have a fifth column in this country that is deliberately working to reshape the world order. And they have a name for it. They call it the multipolar world order. They recognize that the United States and our system is fundamentally incompatible with what they're trying to build, right? These ideas that God created us and gave us rights and that the government exists to protect our rights. You can't have any of that stuff in the new world order. And so what they're doing is they are taking down our country and the broader Western world very strategically. And we see it on all different fronts, right? The destruction of the family, uh, the castrating of our little boys in schools, the, the hysterectomies that they're doing, the double mastectomies they're doing to our little girls in schools. On every front, the poison food that they're feeding us, literally on every front, they are waging war on the United States and on the Western world. And the eventual goal is to transition the, it used to be the unipolar world order, right, to transition the center of power away from the American system toward the totalitarian systems of the world. Now, there's something really interesting about the BRICS that people really have not picked up on, but I think it's fundamental to understanding what's going on here. As we transition toward this new world order, Henry Kissinger, who is now rotting in hell, uh, laid out the strategy that they were going to use in a book called World Order. This was published in about 2014. And he explained it almost verbatim. I don't have the quote in front of me, but it's almost verbatim. He said, the contemporary quest for world order is going to require the establishment of order within the various regions. And then we got to relate these regions one to another. Replace the word order with government, and you understand exactly exactly what's happening here. So they're going to replace the nation state, right, with the, the nations of the world with regional governments. And so the Africans are having an African union imposed on them right now. Here in the United States, they're rapidly building out the North American Union. They don't call it this yet in public, but they've got North American bureaucracies, North American tribunals and kangaroo courts that already overrule our state, our federal authorities. It's happening in Canada and Mexico as well. The European Union obviously is the premier example of this. Uh, Putin is building the the Eurasian Union. And what's interesting about the BRICS is each of the BRICS governments, Brazil, Russia, India, uh, China, and South Africa, and I've lived in most of those places. I've been to almost all those places, spent a lot of time in those places. Uh, each one of those is the anchor in their respective regional government. So in the Latin America, for example, they're building the Union of South American States, the UNASUR or UNASUR in Portuguese and Spanish which is the most powerful government within that block? Well, it's the Marxist regime ruling over Brazil under the leadership of the tin pot dictator Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, a close ally of Fidel Castro, who was put in power by the U.S. government. 
fascinating. You go over to uh, the the uh, your the Eurasian they call it now the Eurasian Economic Union, but that'll very rapidly morph into the Eurasian Union that Putin is building. What's which is the anchor of the Eurasian Union? Well, of course, it's the Kremlin. It's Russia. You go down to South Africa, which is the most powerful government in Africa by far. I mean, no question. It's South Africa. South Africa was a first world country prior to the communist revolution that swept that country over in the 1990s. They still have a lot of the infrastructure. They still have the highest GDP, by far the strongest military. And so South Africa is the anchor of the African Union and, of course, the South Africa, the Southern African uh, Development Council that they're building. So India is the anchor of the SAARC, right? So each of these regional governments governments has a one powerful anchor government that all the others revolve around. Each of the BRICS is those. So the BRICS are now uniting. Each region is uniting. And we're watching now the gradual, and it will happen more suddenly as the dollar dies. We're watching the gradual transfer of economic and military power out of what used to be known as Christendom, the free world, into these institutions like these regional unions and then ultimately into the United Nations. And Klaus Schwab talks about it in his book, The Great Reset. So, you know, people got a little bit mad about globalization during the COVID thing. And so we have a, he calls it an in-between solution. <laughs> and this, the, the solution is to the problem of national sovereignty, self-government. He says the in-between solution is regionalization. So we're watching this process play out. It was so clear at this UN climate clown show that just took place on the Arabian Peninsula. And I'm telling you, Americans, you are the carbon that they want to eliminate. If you've been paying attention, you know the global economy is transforming. The BRICS nations want to see the end of the dollar reserve currency, and many countries are joining their effort. The Western banking system is the most fragile it's been since 2008. The highly respected Weiss Research Group accurately provided advance warning on which banks are going to fail with 99.3% accuracy after the 2008 crisis. They are now predicting that a whopping 4,243 banks are vulnerable to failure and 1,210 of those banks face imminent failure. When this situation comes to pass, it will dwarf the 2008 banking crisis. The only asset that has historically weathered a storm this severe has been precious metals. It has never been a better time to buy gold and silver to protect your family. Contact Miles Franklin at info at milesfranklin.com. Tell them Sarah sent me and you will get the best service and the best prices on gold and silver in the country. That is a guarantee from them to me. Remember, info at milesfranklin.com. Tell them Sarah sent me. Do this now to protect your assets and the ones you love. That's right. That's exactly right. That when they talk about reducing carbon, because it makes no sense, their carbon reduction when it's plant food. They Right, out, we are carbon-based life forms. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. They figured out how to fool the university teacher. I mean, people actually teach this and they really believe it. And all these students and stuff. How do we get some of these messages past all these useful idiots? I'm kind of on this, this trek right now. We have so many useful idiots that are marching to their own demise. How do we get them to comprehend what it is that they're helping to, to happen? It's an excellent question, Sarah. And in fact, I confronted a lot of the useful idiots at this 
COP28. I, I, I asked questions to six out of the seven U.S. senators who were present there. Top senators. I mean, the, the heads of the yeah. Senate Foreign Affairs Committee, et cetera. Um, and, and you can tell some of these guys actually believe this nonsense. I'm like, look, you know, why is the United States committing economic suicide under the guise of saving the climate when the communist Chinese are bringing two power plants, uh, coal-fired power plants per week online? I mean, if you really believe that CO2 is toxic pollution, how in the world can it make sense for the United States to jump off the cliff first and then, you know, the communist Chinese That's keep right. building and and their response well you know we we really got to convince the chinese to come on so so we're going to jump over the cliff and as we're falling hey guys please join us right i mean give me a break it's it's totally ludicrous and and anybody who can't see that is either an idiot or a brainwashed zombie and so to your question how do you get them to see that I don't have a good answer for that, Sarah. And what's happening, the older generations, you can still sometimes reach them with logic, with facts. Uh, typically, the Socratic method works very good because you know nobody wants to admit that they're an idiot. Nobody wants to admit that they were deceived. I, I went through that process, right? Uh, it's a difficult process where you have to admit, man, I'm, I'm an idiot. I, I was lied to <laughs> and I right. believed it. I mean, You have to be humble yourself and say, I was an idiot. Absolutely. And so with the younger generations, what's happened now, Sarah, and, and I explore this in my new book that's coming out in a week, uh, these young people have actually not been educated in any legitimate understanding of the term education. They have been conditioned. In fact, the very same techniques and tactics that were used by Pavlov on the dogs in this you know, Soviet experiment that's where they right. conditioned the dogs to salivate just from hearing the bell. That is a slightly more sophisticated form of that conditioning has now been applied to several generations of young Americans. And so when you say to them that, hey, you're, you're being lied to, CO2 is not only not a pollution, it's the gas of life. Um, you know, it's, it's not that they're examining the evidence. It's not that they're wondering whether that's a credible statement, whether they're putting together facts and using logic to interpret it. What's happening is a, a completely emotional response, very equivalent, very, very much aligned with the salivate. Now, it's not salivating. You know, they'll say sure. things like, oh, you're a fossil fuel uh, stooge or you're, you're a rapist or you're, you're a xenophobe or, you know, just a conditioned response that has no basis in logic, evidence, reason or facts. And, and the question is, how do you bypass that? And unfortunately, I don't have a good answer for that, Sarah. We just you've we need been to pray. working at it. You've been it's, working it's at it for all years. I know because yeah. I've been working at it too, and I just get pushback. Like it's because you're like too insensitive, or you don't listen to them, or you don't do this and the, it's all these things that I don't do right that keeps them from being able to get past their mental whatever they're in. And yeah. and as, we saw a lot of that conditioning during COVID. The science, right? How, how many people now? The science. You've got to follow the science with the drool coming out their face. Right? Uh, it's it, it's a conditioned exactly. You need to follow the mechanism. science, you moron. <laughs> the <laughs> real like, science, right? I, well, that oh, I'm on board with that, but you got to get your act together on figuring, knowing what the science is, and then they shut down, and it's like it's almost like you see their brain turn off and their eyes get bigger and glaze over. Yep. I've seen that many times. Yep. It's a scary reaction. I mean, it, it's very much, you know, it's ironic because they always accuse us of what they're doing. Uh, you know, you probably heard Hillary Clinton saying recently that we were going to have to deprogram 
the the Trump cult member. <laughs> Interesting thing to say. Uh, the reality is we are actually dealing with a lot of the same tactics that cults use to program their followers, to make them impervious to outside information, to reason, to logic. Uh, and so this is what happens. You know, somebody gets sucked into a cult or, or North Korea, right, has perfected a lot of these things. Somebody gets sucked into this cult movement and and the, you know, their family, they're pleading with them, like, we love you, right? There's nobody in the world who loves you more. We're your family. Like, how, how could you reject it? <laughs> the drool coming out. So, you know, what you do about that, I don't know. Um, it, it is a, a terrible problem. And, and I'll say this, if we don't figure out what to do with this, um, it's over for all of us, right? We're dealing now with a very significant segment of the public. It's hard to know exactly how large. Thankfully, most Americans do not believe the climate hoax. And in fact, I, I, I brought a, a poll to this summit. It was released a few months ago, showing that a majority of Americans reject the man-made global warming hypothesis, the man-made climate change hypothesis. But you still have a very sizable minority, somewhere in the neighborhood of 40%, that not only believes this stuff, but is impervious to all of the mountains of evidence showing that it's a, not, not just a lie, but a deliberate fraud designed to completely demolish your life and your country. That's right. And those people who are totally for it, they think the world's going to come to an end if they don't do this. They are so committed that they think that it's the most important thing they could possibly work on. And they're just like these crazed animals. Yep. And and the very, very sad thing about this, too, Sarah, is that these are often some of the first people who are eliminated once the goal is achieved. And, and you know, you can kind of compare this to a communist revolution. You saw it in the Soviet Union. You saw it in uh, in communist China. When the communists come to power, they've got these armies of useful idiots that helped them come into yeah. power. But then these armies of useful idiots, you know, they're ideological. They they actually believe in, in this nonsense. And so when the it, utopia of equality doesn't materialize, they're like, hey, wait a minute here. I I thought we were going to have a utopia of equality. And so then they get put up against the wall and shot, right? When all these brainwashed little European kids running around these climate conferences being paid by, uh, you know, governments through pass-through foundations to, to go protest climate change, when they realize that this is all a gigantic fraud, we're not going to be reducing CO2 emissions, things like this, they're going to become a problem. And so what happens typically after these revolutions is the useful idiots are the first ones to be thrown into a gulag, put up against a wall and shot. Uh, and this goes all the way up to the highest levels, too, sir. I think a lot of the, the lower level minions who maybe do have a sense that this is evil, but they're participating because they think they're going to have a seat at the table. They're going to rule over the ashes. Uh, they often get put up against a wall and shot as well. Uh, Joseph Stalin was a really good example of this. The overwhelming majority of his deputies, lieutenants, uh, the, the, the people right underneath him ended up put up against a wall and shot. Many of them ended up tortured ruthlessly. Their families were murdered. Only a very, very small minority of Stalin's top deputies died natural deaths. The same thing was true with Chairman Mao. In fact, Xi Jinping just eliminated one of his top minions. Uh, and so this is what happens so frequently is that the, the useful idiots and the conniving evildoers who know they're doing evil, they end up getting eliminated too. And they just don't realize that that's what awaits them. So who do they have once they, they only control people through fear and intimidation after that point? Because the rest of us, because they're okay, they want to eliminate 90% of the people. So they're okay getting rid of all the useful idiots and all the minions and everything. But what about the people that, I mean, they who do they want left? The, just people they can control with fear? 
Yeah, I, I think it depends on who you're looking at, right? And and the evildoers have have come up with, and they've now mastered this. They've been studying this for at least a century. Systems of incentives. So they put in place incentives to bring everybody on board the agenda. So it might be, the incentive might be money, right? Money is a very powerful incentive. The love of money is just something that drives such a huge percentage of the population. Others, you know, sex. Others, uh, it's blackmail, right? We've got you on tape doing X, Y, Z. When you were drunk, you went to Epstein's Island. You know, we've got all the video proof of whatever you were doing. So, you know, so in each of these cases, there's a different incentive. There's a different motivating factor, but it all leads to the same thing. All of these people are ultimately then trapped in this system. So I, I think when you really get down to it, I, I think even a lot of the people at the very top don't quite fully understand that. You know, I think a lot of these people are, and, and it sounds crazy to people who haven't really studied this, but a lot of them are actually Luciferians. A lot of them uh, believe they have sold their soul to Satan. And sometimes you see people admit this on video from Hollyweird, from the music industry. They're like, yeah, I sold my soul to Satan so I could have riches, money, and power. Uh, but even they are deceived in a very major way. Uh, they have this vision that, and Saul Alinsky is a really good example of this, right? If you read his book, Rules for Radicals, which is uh, really a strategy document, and, and make no mistake, this is still a strategy document that is widely used by the useful idiots on the radical left today. He dedicated his book to Lucifer, right? He openly dedicated his book to Lucifer. What did he say? It, he was the first rebel, and at least he got his own kingdom. Well, that's a fundamental misunderstanding of what is going on here, right? Uh, they think that Lucifer is going to be the god of of hell, the god of uh, you know whatever comes next, and they're not getting it, right? It, it's it's a fundamental theological misunderstanding of the nature of what's going on here. But you know when you get into what the Bible teaches, and pastors don't often teach this, but the Bible actually teaches that Satan is the god of this world, and so you have all these idiots who are blindly following evil, not realizing that their own end is going to be destruction as well. And when you get right down to it, uh, I believe they actually want to eliminate essentially everybody, right? Um, e even the people who think they're going to be doing the eliminating are going to eventually be subject to elimination. We just saw Henry Kissinger just went on to his eternal reward uh, a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, and so all of these people ultimately. I, I don't think all of them have a full understanding of this. You know, some of them think they're going to merge with computers and they're going to have eternal life. Uh, Yuval Noah Harari's running around like an idiot telling them they're going to be gods. They're going to evolve into gods and things. Um, and, and I think a lot of them are so arrogant and so deceived that they actually believe it, Sarah. I think you're right. People actually believe their nonsense. They think that they can give us informed consent and they somehow get out of the karma, which is just a total deception in, of themselves. They're not going to get around their karma by just <laughs> tricking people into doing stuff. It doesn't work that way. But let's talk about your trip down to the Middle East. You got just got back yesterday. And some of the things that you were telling me before we started was kind of jaw dropping. Um, on what it is that they have planned. I mean, they're just open about it. The Pope goes down there and they they are actually working on this one world religion. We've heard about it for a while, but you saw that in action. So can you talk about it? So it's no longer conspiracy theory. You saw it and they're doing it. Absolutely, Sarah. And I believe that is one of the most important stories from this. Nobody else has this story, unfortunately, because you have 6,000, 7,000 propagandists who are not actual journalists. I call them the cheerleading section. That's right. They're totally oblivious. I mean, what they're doing is they're taking the press releases that the UN is putting out. They're you know putting their own spin on it, putting a new headline on it, putting their byline on it and saying, yeah, we're doing journalism. No, you're not. You're trained SEALs. You're clapping on command. You're pathetic. So uh, last year, let's start last year. 
because uh, this is actually the cover story that I did after last year. It said the UN's new world religion. So the COP, the uh, UN Climate Summit, it was the COP27, was held on the Sinai Peninsula. Now, some of you are thinking, wow, that's a significant place. Yes, it is, right? The Sinai Peninsula is, of course, where Mount Sinai is, or at least what they say is Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, of course, is where Moses went up and received the Ten Commandments from God. Now, this is a, a story that is, of course, in the biblical tradition, the Christian tradition. It is, of course, in the Jewish tradition. And it is, of course, also in the Islamic tradition. They call him Musa, right? So uh, the mountain, Mount Sinai, what we call Mount Sinai, they call it Jebel Musa, the Moses' mountain. And so at this last climate conference, in partnership with the UN, you had all of these religious leaders from all, all over the world. Some of the top Christian leaders, Jewish leaders, Muslim leaders, all kinds of pagans. They flew in some guy from the Amazon rainforest with a big uh, you know, feathered headdress to represent uh, Amazonian pagan spirituality or whatever. You had Hindus, Buddhists, Shintos, everything you can imagine. Um, and they're walking up to the top of Mount Sinai. And first they do what they call an interfaith climate repentance ceremony, where they are asking their respective deities to forgive them for their carbon footprint and, you know, for flying there and for eating steak or whatever. Uh, and then the most blasphemous thing, they break out these two tablets. They call it the New Ten Commandments. Now, a little bit of background before we get into the New Ten Commandments. Right before the UN conference started, the UN actually put out a document on human development where they said that the old system of ethics and morality that had evolved, it was their term, over thousands of years, was no longer adequate for the needs of the present, really for taking care of Mother Earth, you know, the, and by old systems of morality and ethics. They're talking about the Ten Commandments. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, you know, basic things that decent people all recognize, you know, these are not things that we ought to be doing, murdering, stealing, cheating, raping, enslaving, etc. Uh, and so th those systems of morality are outdated. And so the UN says we need people to act according to new moral codes. I mean, that's a word for word quote out of their report that was released ahead of this summit. So what do we get? New moral codes. So they break out these new Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments of climate change. Uh, they call for uh, compassion means hearing the cries of Mother Earth is one of them. Uh, you have to change your inner climate. You don't get to own stuff. Right? This is the the kind of the the pagan pantheistic uh, um, new system of morality that they came up with. And this ceremony was it was actually a spoof, a, a, an abomination of the biblical story. So in the biblical story, Moses gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down. He finds uh, the Hebrews worshiping this cow, you know, this golden calf that they had made for themselves. Uh, he gets really, really mad, right? He's like, I go up the mountain for, you know, a few days and you guys are down here worshiping this cow. What in the world? So he smashes the Ten Commandments and God has to, you know, redo it. So in this ceremony, this weird pagan interfaith ceremony, the guy pulls out the Ten Commandments and he gives the speech about world leaders need to do more to save the climate. And then and he smashes the new Ten Commandments, right? So absolutely insane. The next day, uh, I'm able to get some of these guys on camera, Sarah. I got 45 minutes of the organizers of this thing on camera. They didn't realize that I uh, wasn't drinking the Kool-Aid. And so they're just speaking very openly to me. They're saying, um, you know, we're working now on the third covenant, right? So God gave us the old covenant in the Old Testament. Then, you know, Jesus gave us the new covenant. Well, the UN and friends is now working on the third covenant, which they said we're going to use to build the kingdom of heaven here on earth, oh, right? Gosh. So so for, for Christians, Jews, and Muslims, this should all sound like nails on a chalkboard. It's absolutely bat poop crazy. So that's a little bit of the background. Now, fast forward to this year. They had the first ever faith pavilion 
at this UN summit. They had never before had a faith pavilion. The Pope was supposed to be there to to inaugurate this globalist Marxist Jesuit uh, Pope Bergoglio, whatever. Um, you know, he did his uh, encyclical Laudato Si, where he's really trying to reframe morality. He's arguing, and and he argued at the opening of this faith pavilion. He had a health problem, so he couldn't come. He sent the Vatican Secretary of State to read his speech for him, uh, Cardinal Pietro, whatever it was. And uh, right at the start, he tells you that uh, hurting the environment which, you know, to them, CO2 emissions hurt the environment, is an offense against God, right? So we're reframing sin. Sin is not murder, stealing, raping, enslaving, etc. Sin is hurting Mother Earth. Well, um, let me to be honest, the Pope sacrifices children. We've, we have evidence and people and just there's a ton of people who have seen him in action. So what kind of guy, he has no basis of morality in the first place. And so people shouldn't be listening to somebody who does that. But regardless, I just had to throw that out there. Yeah, there are some real questions about this Pope, you know, and, and I, I come from a historically Catholic family. Uh, I actually interviewed a Catholic priest, uh, Father James Altman, uh, what was it, eight months ago now. And he said on camera, the Pope is teaching doctrines of demons. So, I mean, you even have faithful Catholic clergy saying something really seriously wrong is going on here, right? He's trying to redefine. He's got this synod on synodality where they've invited all these anti-Catholic revolutionaries in to, uh, you know, completely redefine Catholicism. So here's one of the things that they had right when I landed at the airport in Egypt, for those who are watching us. Uh, this is a picture that we took. And uh, in case you can't see it, I'll read what this says. Here. This is an official UN sign right when we landed at the airport in Egypt. It says, um, welcome to Egypt, the dawn of conscience says. Um, and so here's the reframing of morality. I have committed no sin against people. I have not done evil in the place of truth. Uh, it says, I have not polluted the water or the earth, right? And then it says, that's why I should be allowed into the afterlife because I haven't polluted the water. So this is pagan Egyptian mythology here, right at the center of the UN negotiation. And so fast forward to this one, right? One of the things that I did, I rented a car and with one of my colleagues, a cattle rancher and journalist from California, we drove down to Abu Dhabi. And in Abu Dhabi, very few people know this, right? But in Abu Dhabi, there's this giant monument. It's called the Abrahamic Family House. And uh, it was inaugurated by the Pope, the Grand Imam of Al-Zawahar, uh, Dr. Uh, Tawid, I, I forget his name, uh, but, you know, one of the biggest uh, um, imams in all of Islam. Uh, they had a couple of uh, Islamic dictators there, and they did this uh, declaration on human fraternity. And it's really interesting because it says, you know, this is to, to bring about fraternity and unity among all peoples of all religions and even unbelievers but then we really strongly condemn extremists. They're not welcome. You think, well, who's extremist, right? And, and in, in the context of this monument, because it's in an Islamic dictatorship, um, you know, you're, you're thinking, well, they probably mean, you know, ISIS or, you know, the, the, the CIA funded idiots that blow themselves up thinking they're doing favors for Allah. I suspect it's something else. I suspect it is people who don't want to unite with this one world religious system. Those are the extremists. And we are going to see an increasing agitation and hysteria against extremists, in their term, extremists. And so as you're walking around this place, it's, it's a fascinating place. We're going to be releasing the video here soon, uh, Sarah. It was inaugurated just this year. It was open to the public just this year. You've got three giant cubes. You've got a 30 by 30 cube that is supposed to be a mosque. You've got a 30 by 30 cube that's supposed to be a synagogue. And then you've got a 30 by 30 cube that looks like a prison that is supposed to be a church. And there's no, you know, there's no cross on top or nothing. It, it looks like, you know, prison bars uh, surrounded by glass. And it's very weird, you know, it's supposed to be a crucifix that looks like crumpled up aluminum foil or something. 
uh, inside. So you have these three 30 by 30 meter cubes. And right in the middle, you've got this garden of peace, they call it. It's got a weird pyramid sticking out from the middle of it. So we'll be releasing all that video. Again, this is a brand new monument. It was just opened this year. Nobody in the United States is talking about it. But we are moving very, very rapidly toward this one world religion. They had all these interfaith things, interfaith prayer walks, where people are praying to their different deities for unity among all the religions to bring about climate justice. And so the one world religious angle, Sarah, I believe is one of the most important and underreported elements of this. You know, Peter Drucker, the uh, mentor of Rick Warren, the uh, yeah. Saddleback pastor out in California, member of the Globalist Council on Foreign Relations. So Peter Drucker said any major global change, you're going to need a three-legged stool process. He said the first leg of the stool governments. So you have the UN brings together all the national governments of the world. 2015, they approved the Sustainable Development Goals. They called it the Master Plan for Humanity. 2019, the World Economic Forum comes alongside the United Nations and creates what they call a strategic partnership with the UN for implementing this master plan for humanity. What do they bring to the table? Well, they bring the businesses of the world together. That's the second leg of the stool, the private sector. And then Peter Drucker said, you've got to have the third leg of the stool. That is religion. And so you now have uh, what the head of this organization is called Religions for Peace calls the UN of Religions. Um, former population control nut used to work for the UN Population Fund. Uh, she says all the religions of the world are members of this organization. And so they came out with a unified declaration where they said we commit all of our religions and all of our followers to human development as outlined in Agenda 2030. So here you've got the three legs of the stool, the one world religion angle, the government's angle, the business angle. All of them leading us inexorably toward this diabolical, totalitarian, one-world political, economic, and religious structure. And then you've got you know people like me and you shouting, "Stop, you maniacs! What are you doing?" So, mm. <laughs> well, okay. So these world leaders, these religious world leaders, wouldn't be doing this unless they're again a useful idiot and they don't understand what the goals of it really are. Or they're really Luciferian and they're just kind of a show puppet themselves. What do you th think of some of the, I mean, we know the Pope is more of a show puppet and really a Luciferian and he's not what people think he is. Now, some of these other religious leaders, are they the same way or are they more just going to get along and they don't know what to do? Or what do you think of these other leaders? I think there's actually a mix of both going on, Sarah. I think some of these people at the highest levels are consciously doing evil. They they believe they know where this is going. They believe this is going toward a satanic one world system. And they have willingly and deliberately thrown in their lot with this movement. But right under them, you have a whole class of people who actually see themselves as good people, who actually believe that they're doing the right thing. And see, I, I can kind of empathize with this. I, I'm not justifying it, but I can kind of empathize with this and sympathize with this view because this is the the, the view that I was raised with. Right. Um, these people are told from the time they're little children. And I know because I grew up with them in the same schools, sure. learning the same garbage. We're told from the time we're little that, you know, war is caused by nations. If we didn't have nations, war is caused by religion. If we didn't have religion, then we wouldn't have war. We'd have peace. If we didn't have nations, we could all collaborate. We would be one big, happy human family. And so right underneath the the class, very small, that consciously understands they are doing evil. You've got this much larger class of managers who have been convinced. And again, this is not to excuse their ignorance. This is not to excuse the idiocy of throwing in your lot with these people. But I, I'm just trying to give people a little bit sure, of understanding no, yeah. of how they come to these conclusions. 
they have convinced themselves and you know partly because their salary depends on it but partly because they've been brainwashed they have convinced themselves that they are working for the greater good of humanity and so i believe that that is the vast majority of the type of people you'll find at these UN con climate conferences. These are not people who think, yes, we're going to murder huge numbers of people. Yes, we're going to enslave the remainder of humanity. These are people who think, hey, it's going to be great when the UN is running things and we get rid of capitalism. These are people who genuinely believe they're helping humanity. Of course, they could not be more wrong. And the old uh, cliche, the road to hell is paved with good intentions is just as uh, appropriate here as it is in any other context. But I think that's what's really going on, sir, in the minds of these people. Well, the marketing is so powerful. The marketing is we're bringing peace. Uh, religion does. More wars have been created under religion than anything else, right? It's not the true religion. I mean, religion I was just going to say, you have false religion and, and yes. then truth. And yeah. uh, false religion is incredibly dangerous. Well, because there's no religion. I'm going to use Gaza as an example. There's no religion that warrants killing innocent civilians, period. I, I don't. There's no God that I worship that would be okay with this period now maybe you the eye for an eye and you go after the actual perpetrators that did the hamas thing you know the hamas or whoever really did it but there's no god that says killing eight thousand children is okay I, I mean i don't i don't care what you there's there's nobody that can convince me so religion but religion has under the guise of religion it has created more wars. So I can see how this brainwashing really happens. We want to eliminate poverty. We want to eliminate, you know, all this contention. We want that because there are, I know some people who've worked with the UN or who still do, who truly believe that the only way to peace is through the United Nations. Yep. And I think that's exactly what we're dealing with here. These people have convinced themselves for various reasons that this is the way to peace. Uh, and I think what you said about religion is really important to emphasize. Religion is a false religion is one of the many tools that evildoers use to manipulate people. That's right. And, um, you know, I, I go to the Bible because I, I believe the Bible provides a very, very clear and, and in my opinion, accurate description of what's going on in the world. Um, the Bible divides humanity up into essentially two categories, those who are following God and those who are following Satan. And um, the overwhelming majority of the population of the planet, unfortunately, is following some form of false religion, which leads to Satan. And whenever you're following a, a human institution, you're at risk of being manipulated and deceived. And war is actually one of the tools that not, not just Satan, but even this evildoer cabal that we've been talking about use to advance their agenda. And they'll justify that to people any way possible, whether it be through some deity, whether it be through some fear-mongering program, they're going to come get you, whatever it is. Uh, but war is a critical tool of theirs in the advancement of globalism. And quite ironically, they're selling globalism as the solution to the wars that the globalists are starting. Right, And, and they've put this on paper. So this is not just me speculating this is not me, um, you know, connecting dots or whatever and coming up with a new theory. They have explained in That's very, right. very clear language in their own documents that they view war as a catalyst for undermining national sovereignty and bringing us all under one world government. If you don't believe me, go look up the State Department document. 1962, I believe it was published. It was called A World Effectively Controlled by the United Nations. Uh, it was written by a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, a spook uh, with a long career with the intelligence agencies, uh, OSS, and then later the, uh, the precursor, which, which was the precursor to what eventually became the CIA, one of the most wicked institutions on the face of this earth. The, the document was called 
a world effectively controlled by the United Nations. And his task was figure out how do we get from where we are today, basically a world of nation states, to where we want to be, a world effectively controlled by the United Nations. And his conclusion was war and the threat of war is the fastest way to make that possible. So we see Russia, Ukraine, right? They would love to get a massive global conflagration out of Russia, Ukraine. We see, uh, you know, Israel and Arabs. They would love to get a massive global conflagration out of Israel and the Arabs. If that won't work, they go to, you know, the free Chinese versus the communist Chinese. Uh, they're Taiwan working on that versus... one. Absolutely. They're working on the Chinese war. Yes. Absolutely. And, and they're working on wars everywhere. They want yes. to have tens of millions of people murder each other in an orgy of violence so that then they can step in just like they did after World War II, right? A very, very clear example. I mean, people should read Wall Street and the Rise of Hitler, right? Um, th this was a, a process that was engineered by the, the ancestors of the same evildoers that we're dealing with today, right? And so they created this huge war. They caused millions and tens of millions of people to be shoved into the meat grinder. And then they said, oh, don't worry. Globalism will save you. Have a United Nations. Have a World Bank. Have an international monetary fund. Have a European coal and steel community, which they knew all along they were going to build out into the European Union. So what happened? After a massive global war, the institutions that we know today as the institutions of global governance were born. Each war progressively strengthens them. What will a third world war do? Well, it'll put the foot on the accelerator, we'll hit the pedal to the metal, we'll get rid of the last vestiges of national sovereignty, we'll uh, deride everybody who doesn't want to participate right. in the one world political, economic, and religious system as an extremist who is responsible for the war that we just had. And uh, folks, you've got to be very careful. Do not be deceived by these evildoers. They are liars, and they will do anything to manipulate you, including weaponize your religion, which they are obviously doing in the climate context and many other contexts. They are. They're weaponizing religion. I think that's very clear. And they're weaponizing everything that against all these useful idiots. We have a massive Trojan horse in the United States that is um, is implementing, and we have all these useful idiots that can't see the Trojan horse. How I know it's this question again because I see this as such an important thing. There's a certain percentage of us that are fighting. Do we have enough consciousness to be able to fight this yet? Well, that's a very good question, Sarah. Uh, you know, I believe on a lot of issues, the evildoers have lost the narrative war, right? If, if you go out and that's try, right. and I, I always encourage people to do this, turn off your idiot box, call the TV, and go out and talk to real people. Go meet your neighbors, talk to your cab driver, talk to your plumber, uh, talk talk to the waitress at the restaurant, talk to you know the mechanic who's fixing your car. What you'll find out very quickly is the people around you know we're being lied to. The people around you don't think any of this stuff is normal, don't think any of this stuff is sensible. Uh, what's really happening as far as the TV goes is it's just a conditioning process where we're being told that everybody around us believes the narrative, That's but it's not right. true. They want us to feel isolated and atomized and alone. Like, oh, me and my wife, we're the only ones on the planet who, who've realized that this is a fraud. No, people all around you realize this is a fraud. Um, so we do have a lot of people who recognize this. In fact, I believe the vast majority of Americans now are onto them. And it doesn't mean they can tell you the nuances and you know sure. the, the details of who's doing what and how, but they know they're being deceived. They don't like it. They don't like any of this crazy stuff that's happening. That to me is really encouraging. Do we have enough people to stop it? Well, I, I would argue that God can and will stop it eventually. Uh, and he very frequently uses very small groups to do this. I love the story of Gideon in the Old Testament where he takes, uh, you know, Gideon, a nobody from a nobody family, raises up an army of 300 men and smashes this massive enemy army that had come against God's people. So so I, I fully expect, um, you know, those types of things to happen. 
But, um, you know, I, I think one of the mistakes that people make who are looking at this stuff, Sarah, is they attribute godlike powers to these evildoers. And and they assume that every yeah. single thing that happens yeah. is because the evildoers wanted it to happen. Everybody who gets elected is because the evildoers wanted it. Everything everywhere that happens is because they wanted it. And, and I think that gives them too much credit. They're not as powerful as they want us to think they are. They are not omniscient. They are not omnipotent. They are not om omnipresent. And uh, they've been trying to do this stuff for thousands of years. Um, and they haven't succeeded yet. I mean, yeah, they've unleashed a lot of chaos and, and horror. So I, I think as people who value truth, as people who value liberty, uh, we have a, a very... I mean, it's a monumental task. Let's not beat around the bush. This is not going to be easy, <laughs> but it's something that we must do, right? I mean, we, we, if, if you have children, if you have grandchildren, if you just value decency, we have to get involved here. And, you know, whether we have enough people or not to, to take these evildoers on, uh, it, it's almost immaterial because we have to do it, whether That's we have right. enough people or not. We cannot allow this to go um, without at least standing up and opposing it. That's absolutely right. We we just don't have an option. You either die or you do this. Right. Or, yeah, right. I mean, essentially, right? Or you become a slave. Yeah, I mean, th th right. those are your options. And slavery and death, frankly, or you know, death without resistance, it, it, those are just not options for, for anybody with a brain, anybody with a heart, anybody with a soul. That's absolutely right. Now, do you have these 10 new Ten Commandments documented somewhere? Yeah, they've actually put out several different versions of them. And uh, when they got a lot of bad publicity, they've now reframed it as 10 spiritual principles of climate change. But uh, yeah, we do have some of them. We quoted some of them uh, in this book. Um, it's uh, truly fascinating. Uh, let me see if I can track them down here. So they but, call uh, them their new Ten Commandments. And then they got so much pushback, they call them the spiritual guidance for climate change. That's right. Yeah. They, they, this year they started reframing it as the 10 spiritual principles of climate change. But what did they uh, call let me pull it, it last up. year? Uh, last year was the Ten Commandments, the, the okay. new Ten Commandments of <laughs> okay. climate change. Yeah. And there were several different versions that they put out. Um, the uh, the uh, Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development had uh, 10 different ones. Uh, then another group, uh, the, the Interfaith Elijah Board of World Religious Leaders, I think it's called. Also a partner of the UN put out a slightly modified version of it. But uh, so there were several different versions of these going around, but they all have at their core this idea that um, sin needs to be reframed, right? Traditionally, sin has been, you know, in the Ten Commandments, you have two tablets. You have the first is a list of sins against God, uh, worshiping idols, having other gods before the real God, um, you know, using the Lord's name in vain. So, so these were considered to be sins against God. Uh, and then you had the other tablet with the with the other six sins these were sins against your fellow man so murder theft uh covetousness uh, covetousness adultery things like this and so jesus kind of summarized those you know the, the first table was love the lord your god with all your strength all your heart all your mind all your soul the second table was love your fellow human being love your neighbor as yourself those were the original ten commandments the new ten commandments is if, if, if i were to summarize it is you know one unified theme, love Mother Earth more than you love anything else, <laughs> basically, right? Everything must be for the planet. Uh, and, and of course, it all starts with the fundamental presupposition, which is clearly incorrect, that carbon dioxide is pollution. Carbon dioxide is the gas of life. And that tells it's you everything you need to know food. about these new Ten Commandments. It's right. Mother Earth. It's, it's the gas you exhale, Sarah. It, it's yeah. Every single day, your average human being exhales two pounds of carbon dioxide. For these maniacs, these megalomaniacs, to be able to convince billions of people that the gas they exhale is pollution, 
is absolutely breathtaking. It is maybe unprecedented in human history. Well, we see in our profession, we see them duping people into the dumbest things over and over. You know, that's why it, it gets pretty frustrating where you just start going, oh my gosh, these useful idiots, how do we deal with them? Because it's so dumb and they keep doing it. Like wearing a face mask, right? The COVID, <laughs> the COVID particle, you know, was what? Uh, the the pore in the mask is a thousand times, probably even more, the size of the COVID particle. And they the useful idiots cannot understand what that means, right? And you still have people walking around with masks on. Now, with the, the carbon dioxide, you have a ton of people who truly believe no matter. It's just, just as stupid as the mask, but how, it gets back to my question, how, we probably just have to ignore them, right? And just hopefully you get to as many good people as you possibly can to do this. But this is a pagan religion, is what it is. Yes, they're, it is. They're, they're taking their, because this has always been hidden in the background. They There was the Christian religion and the pagan, the, Ro, the Romans didn't just say, okay, bring Christianity, we're just going to dump our pagan religion. They aren't going to do that. They kept their religion the whole time and and made it seem like they weren't. All they're doing is bringing their religion back into the mainstream. I think that's really, and their religion is inherently evil. Sarah, what you just said is like, I mean, like you just took a giant hammer and, and saw the nail and boom. It's exactly what's going on here. And, and I have watched this up close and personal. So um, 2010, they had the, the climate conference in Cancun. So Cancun, obviously the former home of the Mayas, right? The Maya empire. And the lady who was running the climate summit, uh, the executive secretary of the UNFCCC, the UN framework convention on climate change, Cristiana Figueres, she, she opens up the conference. She says, all right, everybody, thank you for coming here to Cancun. Uh, we're going to open up this conference with a prayer to the Mayan goddess Ixchel. Oh, that's interesting. And so she goes on. She says, Ixchel was the goddess or is the goddess of creativity and tapestries. And so, dear Ixchel, we pray that you would give us the creativity to weave a clever tapestry of solutions to whatever the climate change. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but that, sure. that's the essence of what she said. You know, I, I whip out my laptop. And says, Who is this Ixchel? You know, I figured I'd find some goddess of creativity, a moon goddess, or whatever. Turns out Ixchel is the goddess of human sacrifice and war in addition oh to gosh. those other things. And so it, it, the paganism, you know, the, the pagan religions of the ancient world were obsessed with things like sacrificing babies, right? Yes. It, all over the world, whether it was the Scandinavians, the, you know, the Viking, the pagan Vikings, whether it was, uh, you know, the Canaanites uh, in the ancient Middle East, whether it was the Aztecs, whether it was the Mayas, you know, anywhere in the world you look, these pagan, or they had different names for their deities, but they were essentially the same thing. The demons is uh, what the apostle Paul calls them, demanding child sacrifice and things like that. And you're exactly right. We're now moving back to that. Uh, the head of the UNIPCC, he had to resign because he got caught uh, sexually molesting a, a woman. Uh, his name was uh, Dr. Rajenda Pachuri. And in his resignation letter, he admitted that. He said, uh, you know, saving the climate, this environmental stuff, this is more than my mission. He says, this is my religion. And of course, his, his religion is Hinduism, which is paganism. They have, you know, millions of little gods. So you just hit the nail on the head. This is a return to the pagan religions of the past. And I think a lot of people don't understand. Before Christianity, uh, before uh, the the true religion of the Bible spread through Europe and Asia Minor and other parts of the world, 
paganism, human sacrifice, child sacrifice was the norm. And as yes. Christianity spread through uh, the world, these kinds of things were kind of pushed aside. People stopped sacrificing their babies. Well, now we're back to that. Now we're back to Cosmo Magazine, Cosmopolitan Magazine, in the last issue, telling you how to do a satanic abortion ritual at your house while you're killing your baby. Um, I mean, literally, we are now returning to the barbarism, the paganism of ancient times. And I'm telling you what, folks, all the blessings that came with the spread of Christianity, the, the peace, the prosperity, the respect for rights, the end of child sacrifice, all those horrors are going to come flooding back into our societies. And we're watching it happen right now. When you went to school with all these elite children, were there families that you saw openly that were paganism, pagan? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was nothing unusual at all to have a pagan family. In fact, um, I, if I had to guess a number, I'd say 25 to 30 percent of the children that I went to school with uh, were from pagan families, uh, many of them from India, many of them from other uh, traditions, some of the, you know, the Eastern and Southeastern Asian uh, areas of the world. And, you know, they, they weren't shy about the fact that they worship many gods, uh, gods of destruction, gods of, you know, who knows what. Uh, and these religions have always been associated with human sacrifice. Now, a lot of that stuff was kind of swept under the rug, put it, you know, with uh, India, for example, you still have some human sacrifice going on there today. But when the British came, you know, they kind of had to stop sacrificing their children. Now, the the values of, uh, you know, seeing the dignity of the human individual, uh, seeing that the individual was made in the image of God, uh, those things still really haven't taken root thoroughly in a lot of these places. Um, yeah, one of the most fascinating books, I know we're almost out of time, but one of the most fascinating books I ever read was by a former pagan uh, who uh, was born and raised in India. It's called The Book That Made Your World by uh, uh, Vishal Mengal Wadi. And he explains how uh, any area prior to the arrival of Christianity and the, the light of the gospel uh, had all these things in common, including a, an absolute disrespect for life, where he says, you know, when he was growing up in India, it wasn't unusual for a family to say, well, hey, this baby's going to be an economic burden on us. We'll just leave it outside to die. And you know, we look at that and say, how could you do that? Well, they look at that and say, well, this baby probably had bad karma in a previous life. Uh, you know, this baby uh, probably uh, is going to reincarnate as something better. And so, you know, why take care of it? And for us, you know, who grew up in the West and, and accept these fundamental presuppositions about the dignity of human life and the individual, that's horrifying to us. But that was the norm throughout most of human history, throughout most of the world. Well, it's just crazy because, you know, I look at my own kids and how much I, you die for them, right? And so anybody that would hurt their own child is just, it's completely a 180 to what most of us would remotely and we, we would die for our kids. We love them so much that they're more important than we are, you know, to That's us. Right. And you think that other people think that way, but they don't. And it's so fundamentally different. And that's where the mistake is, is that we think people are thinking like us and they're not. And so their agendas behind a lot of these things are not what we believe, what we realize, because we come from a different set of morals and values. Exactly right. That's exactly right, Sarah. And, uh, you know, the, the evildoers want to take us away from the values of life, liberty, property, prosperity. Every human life has value. Humans are made in the image of God and toward this pagan demonic conception of the world where morality is quite literally inverted, right? I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, if, if you truly want to understand what this diabolical one world order will look like, if these maniacs get their way, just take 
the the moral principles that we all take for granted. Don't murder. Don't say, flip them exactly upside down and you get a real good sense of where this is moving. And they, they won't tell you that out in the open yet unless you listen carefully. But that's where all this is moving. That's what they're preparing your children for in public schools. And uh, frankly, we have to expose them and we have to stop them. Well, they're getting more brazen, more confident. And they're just they're starting to just say things out loud. Yep. And, and at this climate conference, Sarah, everywhere you, you you had all these posters everywhere. The transformation is unstoppable over and over again. Uh, I asked uh, Senator Kuhn, actually, I asked a, a group of seven U.S. senators who were there. Say, hey, you know, most Americans don't believe this. According to a recent AP North poll, they don't even believe your global warming theory. Donald Trump might be president again in 2024. He said global warming is a, is a hoax by the CCP. How, how are you making all these commitments, all this money, all this, you're going to dismantle our, our energy? And uh, the Senator Chris Coons, the uh, chairman of one of the key committees here, he says, we're going to continue making progress on this regardless, right? And he pointed to the Inflation Reduction Act, which was the biggest climate bill in all history. All of them said that uh, to, to prove it. So you had to lie to voters. You had to lie to the American people to pass your climate bill, calling it an Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, John Kerry was asked the same thing. He was on stage. A, a guy from Bloomberg asked him, hey, what if Trump gets back in the office? He said, it doesn't matter. Nothing and no one can stop what we're doing. And frankly, all I could think of was, you know, that sounds a lot like what they said before they launched the Titanic. So uh, good luck with that. That's right. I mean, that's what they sound like. And they're not gods themselves. They aren't that powerful. We can stop Amen. them. So let's Amen. talk about what this, a couple of solutions as we end this. You got, we always have to talk about some solutions because this is pretty daunting. And I know you've thought about it hard. What are these solutions? Well, you know, we, we could do uh, 10 hours on solutions. I'll try to condense my remarks um, uh, into a very bite-sized form. But I would say it begins with you, right? It begins with me. It begins with us as individuals. What are we going to do as individuals in our own lives to resist this? Uh, make different purchasing decisions. Do your best to avoid the evil corporations that hate you. Buy from your local community. Buy from local farmers. Uh, it begins with your household, with your family. If you've got children, stop handing them over to a wicked government for brainwashing, masquerading as education. Pull them out of the system. Get them into a good legitimate private school, get involved with a homeschool co-op, find some way to make sure your children are getting a real education. Uh, and that's critical. Begins in your community. Do you know the members of your city council? Do you know your mayor? Do you know your police chief? Uh, do they know these things? If not, why not? That's your responsibility, right? They, they're supposed to represent you. They better know these things. And who's going to teach them if not you? So make some phone calls, get together with some folks on your block in your community in your neighborhood. Get an appointment with your city councilor. Get an appointment with your state representative, your state senator. Uh, we have got to resist this stuff at the local level, at the state level, ultimately the federal level, but that will come later. But, you know, we saw very clearly how much of a difference you can make at the state and local level during the COVID craziness. While big parts of the country, big parts of the world, uh, everybody was locked down, locked in their basement, wearing 15 mandatory face masks, taking 23 uh, uh, boosters for the COVID thing. You couldn't open up your business. Here where I live, we didn't have one moment of that craziness. We didn't have one second of a mask mandate where I live. We didn't have one second of any of these crazy things. In fact, when the regime in Washington passed a, a, the vaccine mandate, our state legislature got together, passed a law that said, if you fire someone for not taking this clot shot, you are going to be fined 10 times whatever the clowns in Washington, D.C. would have fined you. What state? So if, are uh, you I'm in? in Florida. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. OK. 
So, so if we had not just Florida, but if we had Florida and Oklahoma and Montana and Idaho and Texas and uh, South Carolina and North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, if we had all these states standing up and saying, you're not going to do that, right? You're not going to shut down our power plants. You're going to brainwash our kids to chop off their private parts. In fact, if you try to do that, we're going to throw you in jail where you belong like a criminal. Um, you know, they can steamroll over one or two or three states. They can't take on 30 states, right? So we have got to use every lawful vehicle at our disposal to resist this. Uh, juries are, are critical, right? Find out before you get called onto a jury your true role as a juror. You're not just there to follow instructions from a judge. That's You're there to right. judge the law and the facts. If they want to imprison your fellow American for exercising his right to free speech or her right to keep and bear arms, you say, I don't care. You can prove this all day long. It's not a crime to carry around a firearm. It's not a crime to point out that you people are evildoers, not guilty. Right. So we've got all these tools at our disposal. We've got to use them. But I, I really would say it begins with us as individuals and us in our own homes with our own families. Okay. Where can they follow you? Where can they get your book? It's going to be coming out soon. So where can they get all this? Uh, LibertySentinel.org is my personal website. People can get my newsletter for free. Uh, we'll be selling the book there. It, it should be on you know all the other things, bookstores and Amazon and all that stuff. But you can get it for me uh, for cheaper and signed at my website. Um, Ooh, you get a signed and, version at your website, people. That's right. Yeah, we sell all the books, uh, the website cheaper yep. than they do on Amazon with a, a signature. We'll mail. It takes a little bit longer. We're not Amazon. Uh, people can follow me on X uh, and the other social media outlets. I'm senior editor at the New American Magazine, so you can subscribe to the print magazine there. And then I write for a whole bunch of different publications in the U.S. and around the world. This has been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much. I know we've both been thinking so hard after, you know, with all the things that COVID really put things into high gear for a lot of people. And uh, you're in high demand because you've come to some, you figured it out. You've been thinking many years of figuring this out. So thank you so much. People need to follow you. They need to listen to you. They need to get your book. So thank you. When is your, what's the date of your book so that when they hear this, they'll know whether it's available or not. Uh, thank you so much, Sarah. So um, we're going to do the uh, pre-release or the pre-orders will start uh, probably next week. And the book itself will should be out in the first week of January. It should be available for purchase. So the pre-orders are available the uh, uh, probably December 21st, December 22nd, right before Christmas. And then uh, the first week of January is when books will be printed and, and shipped out to folks. So that's our timeline, at least. And you'll have the Ten Commandments. What kinds of things are in there? The new Ten Commandments, the, what they're doing, the One World Religion? Uh, well, this the, particular book, the new one that's coming, is it deals with the history of the public school system. You know, oh, uh, how, okay, how did we get to too. where we are? It, yeah. it does bring in the environmentalism and stuff. Uh, my last book on the deep state, that's also available. That's already available on my website. Uh, that one gets into how they're using environmentalism, the, the fake religious stuff, the communist Chinese component, the mass immigration. Uh, and it also names names. You know, people say, who are they? Well, that's all covered in the book, Deep State, the Invisible Government Behind the Scenes. Perfect. So they can get that already. They can get it as a Christmas gift. So they can still get that now. And the new yes. one will be out. Oh, excellent. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Alex. I really appreciate you joining. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. Thank you, Sarah. And thanks for all you do. 